Thank you very much, Anita, for ministering in music. God in love, God in grace has given us scripture, written scripture, but also a loving scripture in terms of Christ. We want to interact with a portion of that this morning in Habakkuk chapter 3. But I have a question, I'm not looking for a response, but you can think about it. What is the most awesome display of God's power that you have ever experienced? That is, God's display of power in nature that you have ever experienced. Just think about God's display of power in nature. I'll mention two. I may have mentioned these somewhere along the line in the past. Years ago when we were going to Dominican Republic flying into Santo Domingo. You could look out the right-hand side of the plane and you could see flashes of lightning, thunder, and, you know, being above the clouds, it was quite interesting. You could look out the left side of the plane and you could see the same thing. And the pilot came over there. He said, don't worry, we're safe. We're flying between two thunderstorms. We'll land without any problem. But just to observe God's power in a thunderstorm just made me feel small, to be humble, to realize God is great and awesome, and who am I? A second experience, when Danny and I were in Yellowstone, we came to our cabin one night, and it started to rain and pour down, you know, a lot of rain, like we had some this week thunder, lightning, and so on. I said, Danny, let's go for a drive just so we can see God's power. And just to watch, again, the thunder, the lightning, the clouds move, and how fast they move, and so on. How small I am. How small we are. Humbled. Habakkuk came to the Lord with some questions in chapter 2, or chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Lord answered in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. The, Lord, the Lord's answer resulted in Habakkuk having more questions, which he raises in the latter part of chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2 and verse 1. And then in chapter 2, 2 through 20, we find that the Lord again answers Habakkuk. And saying that the nation Babylon, which is going to be used in judgment of Israel, of Judah, is going to be judged by me. And then in chapter 3, we find that Habakkuk's focus shifts. It shifts from questions to grasping and understanding the awesome character of God. The work of God. And as Habakkuk sees the glory of God and reflects in the glory of God, his perspective changes. He doesn't have any more questions. Rather, he humbles himself and says, The sovereign Lord at the end of chapter 3 is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk apparently came through a humbling process 
and that resulted in praise. And we want to read together from chapter 3, beginning with verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Haran. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Media in anguish. Then skipping down to verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Keep in mind, the nation is going to judge Israel. And then the nation Babylon that judged Israel is going to be judged by God. And he says, I'll wait patiently for that. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud. And there are no grapes in the vines. Though the olive crop fails. And the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to run on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instrument. I want to focus on verses 3 through 7. This morning, they deal primarily with God working with his covenant people and delivering them from Egypt, giving them the Mosaic law and leading them into the promised land. Exodus 3, through Joshua, provide the background for Habakkuk's prayer. The greatness of the Lord is understood by Habakkuk. And it was grasped because he had time and took time to think and to meditate. He was reflecting on history. And I would pose a question. Can we recall church history? And I'm speaking of the church broadly. Recall church history or our own local church history or family history or individual history of God working. Habakkuk is reflecting on God working in Israel's history as judgment comes. Apparently, history is vital as we see God at work. He says in verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Teman was located... In the area of Edom, and we'll see a map in just a few moments. The land south of the Dead Sea, and it was occupied by Esau's descendants. 
The wilderness of Paran was a large, diverse area south of Kadesh Barnea. And Habakkuk is mentioning these things in light of some events that had happened. So when we think of Edom, we think of the area, I'll go over here, this area here, and he clearly says, God came from Teman, that ties in with Edom, this area, and then he mentions from Mount Paran, and that's referring to this area here. And he has some specific events in mind, apparently, as he recalls Israel's history. He goes on and he mentions in verse 3, B and verse 4, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor is like the sunrise, rays flash from his hand where his power was hidden. Glory and splendor describe the radiance of God's presence. At Sinai and in the wilderness, this radiance is generally manifested in intense fire, shrouded in clouds and darkness. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. The setting in Exodus 19 is God giving the Mosaic law to the nation of Israel. Exodus 19 and verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke of a, from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. We're dealing with a display of God, his power. We also find as we look at the nation of Israel that a pillar of fire would lead Israel at night. And there was a cloud that would lead him during the day. And apparently we're dealing with something massive. We're not dealing with something small because... It came behind it, behind Israel as they're going to cross the Red Sea and protected them as the Egyptian army came. You could also turn to Psalm 18, verses 8 through 12, and you again will find a description of God's splendor, His glory, His presence being displayed. Habakkuk goes on. He talks about the Lord's hand. In verse 4, his splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. 
The hand of the Lord is repeatedly used as a symbol of God's power. And again, we're back in Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. To see the Lord's power, protection, leading, being indicated by his hand. Exodus 13 and verse 14. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with the mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. That is why I sacrificed to the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand, a symbol on your forehead, that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You could also look at Exodus 14. You could look at Psalm 68. Look at Psalm 74, Psalm 78, Psalm 150. All of them speaking of the Lord's hand. And the idea again is God working, God caring, God providing, God protecting as he leads with a mighty hand. We find in verse 5 of Habakkuk, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. Plague refers to the plagues that devastated Egypt and which were involved with Israel's disobedience to the covenant given at Sinai. Plague, God working, and again, I list a host of references. We're not going to look them up, but we do want to turn to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. The Lord is getting ready to deliver Israel from Egypt, and he is calling Moses. And Moses is slow to respond to God's call. But he does say in Exodus 5 and verse 3, Then they said, that is, Moses and Aaron said, speaking to Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. And again, would be referring to Israel, but then he goes on, and we won't read on Moses promises Pharaoh that there's going to be some plagues. And we know that there were ten plagues tied in with the gods of Egypt. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn. And God again showing his power, his ability. Habakkuk is recalling that. The imagery of verse 6 of Habakkuk recalls the earthquake and violent upheaval at Mount Sinai. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. We looked at Exodus chapter 19, 16 through 18 earlier. 
We won't read it again, but if you meditate upon that passage, God is displaying his power, his ability. Habakkuk is reflecting on that. Then in verse 7, the nations servo are mentioned. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of media in anguish. The Midianites would have been in the area of Moab, Edom, which we saw on the map earlier. The identity of Cushan is uncertain, but they were people that were on the move. And Habakkuk says, I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Media in anguish. What is Habakkuk doing? Habakkuk is recalling Israel's history. God working in Israel. What does that do? That drives him to confidence in God. Verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. The cray kept in my bones and my legs trembled. Habakkuk is going through some physical, emotional, mental struggles. I heard in my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my heart trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. He's trusting God moment by moment. His shift is from What's going on with Israel? And how can you judge to seeing God in his greatness? Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk saw the day coming as Babylon would invade in the future. The fig tree wouldn't bud. There would be no grapes. The olive crop fails. The fields produce no food. There are sheep in the pen, no cattle on the stall. But yet, I will trust God. That's living by faith. Let's think about some applications. Adoration of God should be central to our prayer. And we find it in Psalms and we find it elsewhere in Scripture. We find it in Habakkuk's prayer. With the exception of two verses in Habakkuk 3, the entire prayer adores the Lord. Failure to adore the Lord results in Selfish prayers. Thus we become the center of asking rather than the Lord's will and his glory. As you look at the Old Testament, as you look at the New Testament, adoration of God, particularly in the Psalms, in the epistles, is central to prayer. Habakkuk talks about hearing of your fame, Lord, He stands in awe of the Lord's deeds. 
He says in wrath, remember mercy. He talks about the Lord being the Holy One, glory covering the heavens, splendor like the sunrise, a power that was hidden. In prayer, whether it be praying for our nation, praying for our church, praying for our family, praying in relation to our own life, it's always good to start with adoration or maybe end with, or maybe throughout, but adoration of God. Another application. Prayer at at times is an opportunity to recall the history of God working in a specific situation or circumstance. History is vital in knowing God. Thus, it enables us to live more wisely in the present. What's Habakkuk doing? God says judgment is coming to Judah. And he recalls Israel's history, how God worked. So God is working in judgment. But God is at work. Can we as a local church look back at our history and say, God worked here, God worked here, God worked here. As a source of encouragement as we may go through a difficult period of time. What will take place in our prayers if we focus upon the Lord more and more and lessen our request when we pray? As we stop to think about our nation, our church, our family, our struggles... And contemplate the holiness and justice of God against the dark background of sin. Would we pray differently if we reflect on his character and who he is? Our prayer or our problems can nearly always be traced to a persistence in looking at our immediate problems themselves. Instead of looking at them in light of God. Don't we have a tendency to have our nose down, looking at the present, at our own situation? As a nation, there's been much concern in recent years what may be happening. But as believers, can we look at history and see how God worked and focus on Him? And that changes our perspective in the present. Habakkuk is struggling. God, you're going to judge us. You're going to use a nation more evil than us to judge us. Yes, that's true. Well, what about Babylon? God responds. Habakkuk shifts his focus to God. Do we know the following areas of history? Do we recall them? Church history in general. We hear over and over again, boy, the church is in a mess today. Do you ever look at history and how God worked in the mess for the last 2,000 years? History changes perspective. How about our own church history? Can we go back some 130, how many years now, plus years, and say God worked? 
How about the history of your family? Recalling how God worked. How about your own individual history? God didn't just come into existence yesterday. He's been around for eternity and he's been working. Habakkuk recalls history, what God has done in our own lives, in our families, in our church. In the broader history of the church, recalling what God has done. Another application, when you come to God in prayer, do not compare yourselves with others. Habakkuk had wondered how God could use a more evil nation than Israel. He laid that aside and focused upon the Lord. It changed him and his prayer. Hearing God respond resulted in Habakkuk focusing on what God had done in history and then in humble confidence and humble faith. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk is basically saying, Lord, I recognize that judgment is coming for our nation. The fig tree won't bud. Grapes won't be in the vine. The olive crop will fail. The fields won't produce food. There won't be sheep in the pen. There won't be cattle in the stall. But I'm going to trust you. Because that is living by faith. And I trust you because I reflected on history. And what you have done in history. So where are you in life? Where are we as a church at this point in our history? Where is the body of Christ uh, on a larger perspective in the world today? Look back. God is at work. He is to be trusted. He is to be depended upon. So let's take our hymnals and turn to hymn six, singing about God. In his greatness, in his majesty.